It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to FT Politics, a weekly podcast on British politics from the Financial Times. I'm Sebastian Payne, and today we bring you a special episode on the leadership situation, the Tories and Labour. I'm delighted to be joined today by Jim Picard, our chief political correspondent, and Miranda Green, a political commentator, to chew through all of the exciting events on Monday. Thank you for joining. So political developments continued apace on Monday with Theresa May beginning with a big speech carefully pitched at the grassroots and the country at 11am. At midday, Andrea Leadsom popped up to announce she was withdrawing from the Tory leadership contest, citing the need for business stability and political leadership. Then at 12.30, Graham Brady, who's head of the 1922 committee, the sort of Tory trade union, appeared to say that the MPs were going to recommend she was leader. So essentially, we now have a new Prime Minister. We've also heard from David Cameron. He's set to leave Downing Street on Wednesday after a final PMQs and then Miss May will be anointed as the new Prime Minister. So Jim Picard's a rather extraordinary situation here that 330 Tory MPs have chosen the new Prime Minister. She's not a Brexiter and um, there's been no talk of the party membership either. Absolutely. We've been talking about Labour and how they have the situation where the grassroots control everything. The, the debate in Labour is whether they should be listening to 9 million people who voted Labour last year or should they be listening to the um, half a million members. And here we have <laughs> no one taking any account of either. And we have the first female Prime Minister of the country walking to Downing Street, the first for 25 years, that is, uh, walking to Downing Street unelected and people very close to Theresa May are saying that there will not be a general election. They say it would create instability at a time where we already had economic, financial, political uh, uncertainty and Theresa May's calling card, her great virtue, is her kind of solid stability. She's a safe pair of hands and therefore anyone talking about general election and the Lib Dems have called for one, the Labour has called for one, the Greens have called for one, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So Miranda, this idea that last week we were thinking could it be Andrea Leadsom, could it be Theresa May and there were serious questions over Andrea Leadsom's leadership. Did she have the experience, the knowledge, or even the policies to be Prime Minister? You know, some of her things were very questionable, like activating Article 50 straight away. And a lot of um, political commentators have said that we need strength and stability in Theresa May to provide that. That is what the country is now going to get. How do you feel about the impending Prime Minister May? Well, she has certainly got a proven track record at, at the Home Office. She's done that job for a very a long time. Well, I would say interestingly mixed. So Michael Gove, one of the other contenders for Tory leadership who fell on his sword before Andrea There's Leadsom, been there's been the... so many suicides in the in the Tory leadership campaign. He also was, was this quite similar. I mean, Gove and May fell out famously a couple of years ago, but they both have quite an interesting mix, I would say, because they're quite, they can be seen as reformers. You know, Theresa made a very interesting, much-watched speech to the Police Federation a couple of years ago, which won the admiration of all sorts of people on the centre-left because she decided she was going to take on the vested interests in the public services, you know. So she and Gove should have shared that 
uh, territory. She made a, an interesting speech yesterday, which seemed to be a pitch to carry on David Cameron's life chances agenda, which, of course, he's going to have to have abandoned because he will be no longer our prime minister. But this was the Tory next step. You know, as they look to the 2020 election and as they look to re-establish some sort of credibility on the domestic agenda, apart from Brexit... Theresa May's pitch was seemed quite continuity Cameron to me, which is interesting and probably reassuring to the country. Having said that, the big challenge, of course, is the Brexit negotiation and who she appoints to that, who she appoints to key jobs in the Cabinet will be crucial for that, for that feeling of stability. Just picking up on that question of Theresa May's speech this morning, I, I was working yesterday and I looked at a draft of it or extracts from it, and I thought she was taking an incredible risk given that her pitch was to the Tory grassroots, who we know are socially conservative, conservative big C, conservative small C. And there she was talking about the social mobility, wanting to give life chances to everyone, but also taking on the vested interests, not just in the public sector, but in big business and putting forward policies about having worker representatives on boards and also having greater controls over executive pay, which were uh, went further than what Vince Cable and Ed Miliband proposed during the last government, which was a complete surprise. And it's the sort of thing that I could see someone doing after they've won the Tory grassroots and then they want to reach out to the country. But she was taking a big risk doing it before, given Andrew Leadsom's great appeal to, to the grassroots. It's going to be very interesting to see what kind of Prime Minister Theresa May is, because I think she's been somewhat of a political enigma in Westminster that operated mm. on her own, not with many gangs. She's got her own very close gang, but not in a Cameroon sense. Um, but just going back to Andrea Leadsom, Jim, you know, the, the, she had all this bad negative press about the comments she made about she was more adept at being prime minister because she was she had children and she had a very poor operation around it. They didn't seem to have media control, but she's not citing that today. She's saying it was all to do with stability. Why do you think she quit? I think there's no doubt that uh, she was up for it last week when she only had 88 MPs. Nothing had changed on that front. The only thing that had changed was she'd completely put her foot in it. Uh, in this interview in the Times that appeared on Saturday and it appeared crass and it appeared rude towards Theresa May and I don't think Andrew Leadsom intended to offend her, her rival I think she was sort of drawn into saying these things but the fact that she was surprised that the journalist would pick up on the most controversial things she was saying rather than things that she wants to get across is the sign of an amateur and I think just the pressure had got to her and there was an interview with The Telegraph today where she was talking about her, she'd been crying only 20 minutes earlier and and Clearly, she just decided enough was enough. But the interesting thing, of course, as well, is that with the exit of Andrea Leadsom, the leavers have all left the stage. So it's now left to the remainers, as it were, to pick up the pieces from Brexit. It's good. What sort of shape of cabinet can we expect, Miranda? Because I think it's got to be very Brexit heavy and it's hard to see how you couldn't have a, um, a chancellor or a foreign secretary or what have you who were either part of Theresa's Brexit campaign or at least supported the idea of Brexit. You know, what kind of names do you think we can expect to see there? Well, no, absolutely. I mean, Chris Grayling has been very key to Theresa May's campaign. Her campaign manager. Her campaign manager, yeah. and he is one of the arch... Uh, Brexiters in the cabinet so you can definitely expect him to have a, a key job whether it's in the negotiating team or one of the one of the great officers of state it'll be interesting to see what she does with David Davis um, because he's a sort of slightly talismanic figure in the Tory party but also I think it will be interesting to see how she uses the other women you know Justine Greening was quite prominent in Remain and then of course coming out on the day of the result uh, has a sort of slightly higher profile and has been very 
uh, key to the to the May campaign. But also, what's going to happen to George Osborne? This is what interests me because George Osborne this morning has been out there trying to tell our allies that this that, that Brexit now means a more global facing Britain. What will that mean in practice? And is there a role for Osborne? Exactly. There is a theory that Osborne could end up as Foreign Secretary while somebody else has the kind of role of Minister for Brexit. Osborne didn't particularly get on with Theresa May in the Cabinet in the last five years, but I think they do respect each other. I think the other characters we have to look out for are Philip Hammond, former Foreign Secretary, very dry, very safe pair of hands, the kind of guy you could could see at, as um, Chancellor of the Exchequer. He's a former Treasury Minister. And also Boris. I was told by one of May's friends a few minutes ago that they would love to invite Boris back into the Cabinet. Theresa May's biggest task, though, Jim, is to try and piece the party back together. And as Miranda said earlier, all the Brexiteers have just flocked away. Nigel Farage, Michael Gove, Boris Johnson, they're nowhere to be seen. So she's got a careful balancing act she needs to do now of making her look Brexity enough, having a Brexity cabinet, and trying to convince the party members who are going to be quite unhappy, they've just been cut out of this process, that she can fulfil Brexit, is not going to try and weasel out of it. I think firstly, in her speech today, she was absolutely explicit that Brexit would happen. This was something that would be delivered. And in terms of party unity, she's going to offer jobs, as I understand it, to people like Dominic Raab, James Cleverley, Boris Johnson, who were on the exit side. It's possible Andrea Leadsom might also get a senior role. That's not clear yet. And I think fundamentally, the Tories are quite practical people and they understand that there was a vote by the general public to deliver Brexit. It may have been close, but you know they know like we know that petitions calling for it to be revoked and all the rest of it are just a pile of nonsense and this thing is going to happen whether people like it or not. And compared to the Labour Party, which is totally at sea with an existential crisis going on, I think the Tories have had their policy argument, even though it's got a bit nasty at times, and they will move on. Because the thing is, Miranda, first of all, the Eurosceptics have got their heads ascension, David Cameron and George Osborne, the two chief Remainers. Um, and the second thing is they see the other side of the fence and this idea that, you know, Labour is on the verge of, you know, some kind of collapse we'll talk about later. But I think for the moment, it's it, it, you can see them pulling together quite quickly of this. And the Trident vote, which is due next week, seems like the ideal opportunity, you know, which Tories don't love nuclear weapons. No, you're absolutely right. And also, of course, the presiding spirit of the Conservative Party is the desire to govern, govern you know, and the will to power is strong in Conservative <laughs> politicians. The force is strong. The force exists. is strong in them. And that means that they can save themselves from a crisis. And I think you're completely right that they will come together because the Conservative Party is the party that likes to see itself as the natural party of government. So they'll do what's ne- what's needed. And, and, and Theresa May is actually quite well placed to do that. She was prominent in the Remain campaign. She has, however... Very cleverly, I think it's key to say. Yeah, I think at this point that looks very clever with hindsight. You know, (laughs) everything, it looks different with hindsight. But the other thing is, though, it is worth noting in terms of Theresa May and where she stands on the political spectrum, she has already had to make a couple of contortions. She's had to reverse her position on uh, the UK pulling out of the European Convention on Human Rights. She's also had to... Um, move under pressure, interestingly, even from from Brexiters, uh, in terms of what's the fate of other EU nationals in the UK and whether their status should be guaranteed even before negotiations 
to withdraw begin. Um, and also, of course, if you look back at some of her interesting speeches that she's given at Tory party conference, one year she taxed to the left, the next year she taxed to the right. So she does ha- seem to be a little kind of malleable and flexible in terms of what position she takes, which will be interesting to watch during this period of trying to reconsolidate the Conservative Party. And let's not forget that in terms of delivery, as Home Secretary, her biggest job that she was tasked with was getting immigration or net immigration down to fewer than 100,000 people a year. And the latest figures were something like 330,000. So on the one big job they gave her, she completely failed. And I think this is going to be an interesting opportunity for UKIP. This is a secondary thing that will begin to develop. But you can already see UKIP have been out and about saying it's disgraceful. You know, Nigel Farage and the big UKIP donor Aaron Banks were backing Leadsom because they saw her as a pure Brexiteer. Whereas Theresa May is clearly not that. She's far more pragmatic. And they see an opportunity here to capture, you know, some of those 17 million people who voted for Brexit who feel betrayed by the party. It may be, though, that that has scared the Conservative Party back into the arms of Mrs May successfully, because having watched the Labour Party become captured by the left, does the Tory party really want to be captured by the right, which was, is what a leadsome backed by Aaron Banks' spectre perhaps will have conjured up for them? Um, and we know as well that the danger for the Tories is that UKIP has the purity of opposition in that they can complain if things don't go quite their way. And we already know that there are going to have to be trade-offs and compromises in terms of how much does Theresa May, Prime Minister, give up economic growth in order to get her target of getting immigration down. And, and they're bound to be, uh, for, from the eyes of a purist, she's not going to be able to stop immigration altogether. And there could be problems with the economy ahead. And UKIP are going to be there on the sidelines waiting to pounce on any errors or any failures. And the last question on the state of the Tories, Jim. So once the cabinet settled, say we have this try and vote, we then go into summer recess, which will hopefully give everything time to calm down, at least on the Tory side of things. But preparations will have to begin on Brexit. And I suppose that is the upside of this situation. That instead of having months of leadership contests and a prime minister that's not doing anything, the May government can begin to figure out what its European strategy is going to be. And maybe we might see some of that when we get to Tory conference. What do you expect to see or happen on the Brexit front from the May government? So we already have George Osborne in Wall Street today trying to reassure markets in New York that um, Britain isn't going to suddenly turn into Little England, that we're still going to play our part in world affairs and all the rest of it. We've also got Sajid Javid, the business secretary, who was in India at the back end of last week. He's seeking to try and get uh, pave the way for trade deals with India, China, the USA, South Korea, countries like that. And in the meantime, we're going to have a Brexit minister appointed as part of the Theresa May reshuffle. There's going to effectively be a, a ministry of Brexit, as I understand it. And we're going to embark on these very, very gruelling negotiations that are going to take forever. But I think Article 50 is the key. Will Theresa May do that by the end of the year or not? You're not pulling a very happy face there, Miranda, at the thought of this. <laughs> no, well, I'm not happy about Brexit generally, but, you know, it is the reality. And so what's going to be very interesting to watch is, as Jim has indicated, the extent to which Theresa May can come up with some sort of workable compromise for the country that isn't seen as a b- betrayal by the Brexiters. Because I have heard that, you know, when Theresa May was asked to choose what's more important to you, protecting the state of the economy or curtailing freedom of movement of people, she chose the latter. So it's very clear where she's coming from in that sense. But I I think one thing to say is that even if she does get the numbers of immigrants down from this 330,000 a year, and even if they do bring in this Australian-style point system where they can 
pick talent from around the world and all the rest of it. There are quite a few communities in Britain which thought when they were voting for Brexit that they were voting to an end to immigration altogether, if not actually sending some people back to where they originally came from. So it'd be quite interesting in terms of sort of social integration and the fabric of society, what, what happens on that front. And the other leadership news that was mixed, missed with all the Toryness today was Angela Eagle's campaign launch. Jim Picard, you were there to watch the launch. This was Miss um, Eagle, who was f- Shadow First Secretary of State and Shadow Business Secretary, announcing she was going to challenge Jeremy Corbyn for the leadership. And she had the 51 names to get that challenge. What did you make of the launch and what happens next? So the timing was a little bit unfortunate. I turned up at the Institution of Engineering on embankment at course to 12 and people already knew that Andrea Leadsom was about to drop out of the Tory contest. So it did overshadow things. Uh, some media pulled out to go over to the other side of London and watch the Tory contest. Um, but she did her speech, Andrew Eagle, at, at uh, midday. She was introduced by Harriet Harman. She had loads of MPs there in the room. There what was a sort really of MPs mood. were there? Was it a mix or just of a certain part of the party? Well, there was Alan Johnson there, there was Ben Bradshaw, Margaret Hodge. So quite a few what you might conventionally call Blairite MPs. But um, make no mistake, Angela Eagle is not a Blairite, whatever the Corbynistas say about her. And she used the phrase practical socialist to try and get across to the Labour membership that actually there's not that much between her and the Corbynistas other than she claims to be competent. She claims that she can bring the party together. She could be someone that would work with Blairites in the way that clearly uh, Corbyn and Macdonald can't. So Miranda, she's clearly got a big challenge ahead here. There's a lot of Labour Party members who are very passionate about Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. You know, the party's now hit over 500,000 members now. And over the next few weeks, we're going to have various machinations we'll come back to in a moment. But she's going to have to be really up for a big fight here and it's going to get a pretty nasty fight as well. It is going to be very nasty, um, particularly because those on the far left do seem to be very aggressive in the way they attack those who won't support Jeremy Corbyn. And she's already copped a lot of flack even before her formal launch this morning. I think when she launched, she said these are dark times for Labour, dangerous times for the country. I don't think anyone would disagree with that diagnosis. The problem is, what can she do about it? You know, is she the solution to this problem? Do you think she is? Well, as Jim has rightly said, she's not Blairite. She's soft left in the parlance. Um, So the idea is that it's progress on the way to electability. And that, at the moment, would be huge progress for the Labour Party. But it will be very difficult for her. Nobody really knows, because a sort of study has not been done, of who the people who've joined the Labour Party are since the referendum result. Although there's a suspicion that they are still sort of quite heavily weighted towards supporters of Jeremy Corbyn. But there's a rival movement that's been started, Saving Labour, which is supposed to be getting people to join up to vote him out to make the Labour Party elect again very very difficult and also they have this added problem now of the Labour heartlands having voted for Brexit how can a new leader address this really fundamental problem with the traditional electorate for the Labour Party bleeding away and potentially bleeding away to UKIP in some of their marginal seats I mean, the mood uh, at the launch today was really upbeat. I mean, Margaret Hodge said to me afterwards that it was the, the most cheerful she'd felt for a very long time. It was almost cathartic, these people having been sort of picked on by their own activists for ages, finally sort of agreeing on something, agreeing to fight back. Um, but I imagine the mood was also very positive in early 1914 at the start of World War One, where everyone thought that it was going to be over by Christmas. I suspect this Labour battle may not be over for quite a few years. And the problem Angela Eagle has is that her entire pitch when you stop to think about it, 
is a negative pitch in the sense of what she's not. So she's not Blairite. She's not far left. She's not Corbynista. Um, she's not too threatening to the general public. That's the idea. But in terms of charisma, she's somewhat lacking. In terms of new policies, she hasn't put any forward yet. I would say also, Jim, that one of the problems she's got, wouldn't you agree, is that she's described herself as, as unity, a unity candidate, you know, and this soft left label helps her in that. And you rightly say she was trying to describe herself as a socialist this morning to make that clear. But she is trying to put back together something which may just be sundered forevermore, which is this idea that the Labour Party is a coalition between what they used to say Hampstead and Humber. So you've got the working class areas and you've also got the kind of liberal intelligentsia. Corbyn has now, the Corbyn era has turned that into potentially three different parties. You've got the kind of really quite left urban uh, Corbynistas and you've got a sort of disenfranchised Prosecco metropolitan party and then you've got the working class areas of Labour who may not come back to the party at all. Absolutely. And I think the one issue which has driven a massive wedge between those two wings of the party has been immigration because you have the kind of Hampstead, South London... Edinburgh, Oxford, Cambridge, uh, people who like the alternative vote, they like Corbyn, they love Europe. And then as you're saying, the working class voters who hate the levels of immigration that have occurred over the last 10 years. And curiously, Jeremy Corbyn was genuinely, his sort of lack of enthusiasm for the EU, even as he supposedly campaigned for it, in theory puts him on the side of the white working class voters. But when it comes to immigration, he doesn't think there should be any curbs at all. So he's completely out of touch with the white working class voters. But before we even get to what Miss Eagle's pitch is, the question is, has she got any chance of being leader? So as we've discussed before in this podcast, Jim, it's all about the ballot paper. So she's got 51 MPs and MEPs backing her candidacy. There may be other candidates. We'll wait and see. But the main question is, does Mr Corbyn get on that ballot paper? Now, if I'm right, on Tuesday there's going to be a meeting of Labour's National Executive Committee, the ruling body of the party. And they will decide, is Mr Corbyn on the ballot? ballot paper without nominations or with nominations so if he's not on if he's not on with nominations then what does he get does he get pushed on through legal proceedings and if he's not on the ballot paper what happens next exactly we're really going to get into the weeds of the details tomorrow when the meeting begins at two o'clock at Labour's headquarters in Victoria Street and the meeting will go on for hours. There are 33 members of the NEC. They're drawn from the unions, from the MPs, from the affiliates. And what's fascinating is that it's a very finely divided uh, group. Half of them are Corbynistas, half of them are anti-Corbyn in sort of rough terms. And we don't know how they're going to jump. But it does seem very unlikely to me, even though there is ambiguous legal advice about whether the rules allow Corbyn automatically back onto the ballot paper or not. Just the idea that these people... Uh, some of whom are unelected, would deliberately block Jeremy Corbyn, one of the most popular in terms of grassroots support, Labour leaders of all time. And I spoke to Ken Livingstone this morning, former mayor of London, who was on the NEC until two weeks ago, and he said it would be like something out of North Korea if they kept him off the ballot paper. So this is the big challenge, isn't it, Miranda, trying to connect those two things together, the membership and the MPs. But it does strike me there is no going back from this now, that those 172 MPs had their no-confidence measure. They've gone through all these proceedings. As, as Jim said, it's going to be very nasty. So the question is, if this fails, if Mr Corbyn gets back on the ballot paper, it, this could be the end of the Labour Party, as we know it we're seeing this week. It's extraordinary. Uh, it's also a really fundamental challenge to the concept of parliamentary democracy, you know, that a party membership should be more powerful than, than the MPs when it comes to deciding who's the, who's the leader and who can 
challenge effectively as as leader. But you're absolutely right. And there's a distinct possibility if Corbyn is elected again, will the Labour Party split? And will that be the end of the Labour Party that we know? And that's it for this episode of FT Politics. We'll be back soon to cover all the latest news from Westminster. Thank you very much to all my guests for joining and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this, you might like to try our Hard Currency podcast presented by me, Roger Blitz, the FT's Currencies Correspondent. Each week I discuss the main talking points in the markets with experts in the field. You can find our latest show at ft.com slash. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. Podcasts every Thursday. <laughs>